evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of the Third and Short Overtime podcast. Somehow we've all made it in. Obviously, I had a newborn this morning. And I've just I've managed to make it on the podcast. I'm that professional. Mark could have been out partying with a Geordie bunch, you know, with a new takeover in soccer. But I mean, you've decided to come with us, which is obviously you, you must mean a lot to you. And JP and Bones, we're always going to be here anyway, won't you, guys? <laughs> Well, you know the fact I wasn't here till 30 seconds before you press go live. I'm, I'm always here. I'm reliable. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we've it's week. We've got through week four, which is absolutely flying by at the moment in the NFL. And before we get on to what we normally do in stock up, stock down, we'll go to we'll go around and we'll look at the thoughts. Any thoughts on week four? Um, we'll start with you, Bones. I'm going to put you on the spot. Any what thoughts from week four? Anything that just come to your head? Um. Hmm. Week four. I guess it was the week we saw like we saw the end of some streaks. Then we saw the end of some four and three and O teams. And um, yeah, we the, the cards are the only one standing now. I think um, that was. Pre- I guess that was pretty big. Um, yeah, otherwise it was. It was a pretty good week in terms of games, but I, I don't know. I've I've been been a bit bit down this week you know watching the lions play for four weeks disastrously yeah um, we'll, we'll, we will get on to that and we'll also get on to jp's team later on as well obviously your thoughts from week four yeah you can bring that up if you want but i'm sure you're gonna well i'll give you 20 minutes so if you want an extra minute over here you, you go for it <laughs> what's the jose Mourinho one i prefer not to speak uh no it's um i don't know it's weird man like the <sighs> One thing I have noticed coming into week four, the entire narrative we had going into the season had pretty much turned on its head. The bunch of teams that we didn't think would do would do well are doing well, and uh, a bunch of teams we, bunch of teams we really liked are struggling. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought anybody would have had the Cardinals as the last undefeated team in the NFL. We, we've spoke multiple times on this podcast how bad we think Cliff Kingsbury is. We are a little bit fucking stupid at the moment. So uh, yeah, some some interesting stuff going on, but. Uh, yeah, just a bit unexpected so far. It seems to be settling down now, but we still had some weird results this week as well. So, lots to talk about this evening, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. It's totally up and down all over the place. You know, like there's certain teams like we'll get onto the onto the Jets and stuff. Obviously, getting a win over Titans, which were unexpected. Obviously, Mark, I know you've had good news when it comes to Newcastle and soccer, but your your, your team's unbeaten run came to an end this weekend. Is there anything if you want to bring that up, or is there anything else that you thought from week four that you'd like to you saw? Well, yeah, I mean, regardless of the Raiders, we were just out coached. We were just out coached in every single aspect of the game, which is frustrating when you think that their coach is a you know is a is a first time head coach. But that's what it boiled down to us. Everything we tried to do, um, the Raiders, the Chargers had the perfect game plan for. You know, like the, the, you know, we tried to run the ball. They stopped us running the ball. We tried to go deep. They stopped us running deep. In the offense, we didn't let the big play in. We give them underneath, and Herbert just took underneath. And Eckler had the game that said he would have. You know, I marked him in the other pod as being the player, you know, like the player who could have a game in that. And we didn't learn anything from the Chiefs game the week before. What we did is we give them lots of completions in the flats, and Herbert's just took what we give them. And and Ekla did the rest, you know, and that's basically what the Chiefs did. We like repeated their mistakes. Um, so yeah, we were just we were just out coached, which is frustrating. Um, but you know, credit to the Chargers, they're a good team. 
They are a good team. They're going to be a problem in the NFL this year, especially in the AFC West. Um, on the rest of the league, any thoughts? Well, I mean, who would have said to me before the, the start of the season, Mark, the two teams who are going to leave you most impressed by the end of week four are going to be the Cowboys in Arizona. If somebody had said that to me at the start of the season, I would have been, wow, there needs to be a lot to go right for them two teams to be the two teams that are impressing me the most. But yet, you know, if I was to say who are the two teams who would come out and probably look like two exciting teams, I'd probably say at this moment in time, the Cardinals and the Cowboys. Yeah, I think we knew the Cowboys would be good on offensive. Everyone stayed fit. We knew how good they were, but it's, I think it's obviously we brought it up. I think it was last week's episode. The defense has been surprisingly good, and obviously, it looks like at this early stage. I know Tom's in the in the chat, and he might disagree. It looks like it's it's the um, the Cowboys to win that division. You know, at the moment, at this early stage, you know, obviously injuries can happen and things can change. But yeah, I, I agree, Mac. Um, I haven't seen much of the Cardinals. But, John will be seeing them obviously this weekend when they play the 49ers, but and I'll, I will see them twice this week. But yeah, they, they've started started really well, and obviously they started well last year. And, that's, and they look they do look a different outfit compared to last year how they started. You know, there's um, it's just something about them that's different. So I know we've mentioned before that they fell off the rail. You know, like partway. I think it was after their bye week. So we'll see if that happens again. But they do look a different outfit compared to to last season. So it, it's. Um, Definitely one to watch. So let's jump straight into stock up. And obviously we've got, I think Bo's going to bring it up, and we've got two um, positions that we're going to look at. And first, it's going to be wide receivers because we were talking in chat before we got through this week and we mentioned a few wide receivers and thought, why don't we just group them together? And obviously, we've got the three wide receivers there. I'll come back to you, Mark, with Tyreek Hill. I can see we, we know how good he is and we know he went off on on Sunday it's not he goes off quite a lot really but he's so good you know and I'm, I've been I've been listening to podcasts and uh, watching shows this week and it's like you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't with Tyreek Hill because if you double team him you've got Travis Kels if you, if you Travis if you double team Travis Kels you've got Tyreek Hill what's the best way to so obviously because it all falls in together obviously we've got Tyreek Hill on there because he went off it all falls in together how do you mark these to uh, Tyreek Hill out of the game. How would you stop? I mean, this is good because this is the two positional groups that I love. You know, like it's one half of them, it's wide receivers. I think now we've got to admit like Tyreek Mill doesn't Tyreek Hill doesn't fit the mold of what we would view of a wide receiver. He's five foot ten for starters. And I think most of us view your wide receivers, your best wide receivers, as being like Hopkins size or Larry Fitzgerald size. But the thing about Hill is, is we have to just admit that he's the best wide receiver in the NFL at this moment in time. You know, like he's he's just unique at what he does. He's he's going to get labelled as a deep threat. I mean, when you look at his statistics again on the weekend against Philadelphia, he had eleven receptions off twelve targets, had an eight, eight one hundred and eighty six yards and an average of sixteen point nine with three TDs. So, obviously, you have to try to nullify him deep. So, how do you nullify Tyreek Hill deep? Well, with him being 5 foot 10 and slight of build, you know, like, he's not he's not going to be great off press. He has got very good releases. So, I think any team that's going to want to try and keep him out of the game, 
is going to have to try and get hands on him in the first five yards of the play. Anything further than that, you're going to get called for a PI. Then what you need to do is you need to do what the Chargers did last week when they nullified Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill against the Chargers had five catches for seven targets for 56 yards, no touchdowns. When you flip that, what the Eagles did, where Eagles tried to go in man with them, you're just going to get absolutely annihilated if you go in man coverage with Tyreek Hill. What's going to happen if you go in man coverage with Tyreek Hill with that kind of burst, that kind of base, that kind of uh, root tree, is you're going to give up 186 yards like the Eagles did. You're better off doing what the LA Chargers did, which was drop people into quarters coverage. That basically means that you have one corner who is in zone against Hill. He might bump him at the line of scrimmage and then go into zone. And you'll have a safety which is dedicated in the other quarter. So basically what you're doing is you double quarter coverage in him. You're putting two players out there in order to try and bracket him. It's the only way you can stop him. What you will do is you will give something up in the middle to, you know, like um, to Travis Kelsey. But it's like what you said. Who's going to kill you? Who's going to kill you? Tyreek Hill's going to kill you in about seven seconds. That's how long it's going to take for the for, for the ball to get thrown and for him to score a touchdown. Travis Kelsey's going to be a bit more of a slow affair. And I think what you need to do with this Chiefs offense is you need to limit the amount of big explosive players it can have. What you want to do is you want to go, okay then, we're going to let you have five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards. Because what that does, that eats up eight minutes of the game clock. What we're not going to let you do is we're not going to let you come out here and put seven points up on us in like two minutes. Because then we're going to give you the ball back and then you're going to do it again. And what you're going to do is you're just going to score 21 points in the quarter. And it's going to be all Tyree Killer who's going to tear you apart. And I think that's the only way you can actually stop this guy. You know, like, he, he is the best receiver in the NFL at this moment in time. Forget about what you think the number one wide receivers will look like. I'll give that point back to you. Look, Tyree Kill's the best wide receiver in the NFL today. He's the ultimate weapon in the NFL today. Stopping him, all you can do is you can play quarters coverage. You can have a cornerback cover him and you can give him help over the top of the safety. Yeah, he's one of those players, Tyreek Hill, that they used to be called playmakers. I think they're probably game changers now, where like even if they don't have the ball in their hands, they're affecting the game. The mere fact that you have to account for him on every single play somehow, you've just summed it up, Mark. How would you stop him? Play quarters coverage. You're right, that's exactly what I would do. But you're giving up plays elsewhere. It makes it so hard to play against, especially in a system like Andy Reid's where Kind of everybody can get their hands on the ball. Pretty much everybody is a good receiver in that offense. You know, even the running backs. If you're then if you're then saying that you have to account for a player of Tyreek Hill's quality, that opens up so many other opportunities for everybody else. We were all worried before the start of the season. I think we said it when we talked about the Chiefs, and they've not got a number two wide receiver. They still haven't got one, but it doesn't really matter because the defenses are having to put so much on Tyreek Hill that it's opening up opportunities for Kelsey, the running back. Uh, Edward Tillet, you know, there's, there's a few players that are getting, getting hands on the ball that perhaps otherwise wouldn't be. You don't have to be top class to, you know, to be in that offense now because of the, the sheer fact that they've got an all-pro player at one side of the formation. It makes such a big difference, I think. Yeah, when we look at Tyreek Hill's performances for the season, you've got four games that he played. Cleveland, you went off for 197 yards. Cleveland tried to cover him in man. 
You've got Baltimore who held them to 14 yards. Baltimore played slightly more zone coverage than they normally do against them. But what they did do is they hit them at the line of scrimmage. Got Marlon Humphrey gets hands on them at the line of scrimmage. You've got the earlier Chargers who handled them, who handled them to 56 yards. They played quarters coverage, they play a lot of cover six, which means that you drop your two safeties back, you drop your, your corners back, and you drop two linebackers back into coverage in the shallows. Cover six, it's a cover six zone. It's also called quarters coverage. What you do do is you give up the middle of the field when you do that. But that's all right because, as we know, you know, like um, the Chiefs have got Clyde Edwards Alaire, who has come on a little bit these last two games, but for all intents and purposes, hasn't been a massive threat. Not like Austin Eckler out the backfield, who's a really good ball catcher and running back. Hills, uh, you know, like um, Clyde Edwards Alaire has struggled a little bit with that. And then you've got Kelsey. So there's your matchup. That's 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 the one that you're alienating. You're looking well, Kelsey will kill us. But the thing is, Kelsey will slow kill you. Tyree Kill will take the game away from you in about two seconds flat. Um, and I think I think we've just got to see, look, this guy's the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. How do you stop him? How do you stop him? You're going to have to go quarters coverage. You're going to have to prevent things over the top and give the rest of them underneath. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say, like, obviously, just giving Kelsey... Um... Oh, well, it can be anyone but more Travis Kelsey, like, like five yards each play. Because obviously the, the two games you mentioned where Hill didn't go off, Kelsey got over 100 yards, but they still lost the game. I watched, is that what it is with the Chiefs? You know, like if you keep giving these yards, hopefully you can stop one a couple of plays. Come back to you, Mark, with it. Obviously stop one a couple of plays and you're not going to win comfortably against the Chiefs, but you might win by a score or less in a shootout kind of like thing. It comes down to your red zone defence. That's what it comes down to. What you're doing as a defence is you're saying, you can have this underneath, we're not going to let you go over the top. If you're not going over the top of the hill, you're not scoring 50 or 40-yard touchdowns. What you're doing is the, is the field is getting shorter and shorter and shorter every time. As the Chiefs are taking these 8, 9, 10-yard dump-offs to Kelsey, which you're allowing them. Then what happens is you get into the red zone. Well, we all know that the red zone's a compact, condensed area. So Hill's deep speed is nullified there anyway, because he can go deep, but he's just going to run out the back of the bloody end zone. What happens then? It becomes an underneath game. So that's when you change your coverages. That's where you change things and you start going, right, okay, we're going to come up with corners coverage now, and now we're going to bracket Kelsey. Now we're going to bracket Kelsey, because Tyree Kill isn't a red zone threat. He, he can still get touchdowns there, but Tyree Kill is a... I'll take it to the house from anywhere threat. I'll put 180 yards on you and get a hat-trick of touchdowns on your threat. You know, what you need to do, it becomes it becomes about your red zone offense. It's that we'll bend, not break mentality. We'll give you this, but when you get here, we're going to hold you at three, and then it's up to us to put seven on. And that's how you play the Chiefs. That's, gonna, that's how you have to play them. They're that good. I'm going to come back to you again, Max. And obviously, I know you like your wide receivers, um, your skill positions, but Terry McLaurin's a different type of player. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of him. I think he gets, he don't get talked about because he's, he's a bit similar to, to your um, AJ Brown and your um, DK Metcalf, you know, big lad. But he don't get talked about as much as them. But I don't know if that's because of obviously the quarterbacks that he had to write, but he still gets a lot of targets. And he still, when the ball is pinged into him, he's catching, you know, area and stuff is absolutely brilliant he's like he's, he's got sticky hands as well you know what obviously he went off this week as well again 
such a such a good player and he's, he's a, he goes about his business quietly as well you know he's not he, he, that's what i like about him as well obviously like i said he went off again this this weekend what do you see in terry mclaurin that we put him on the list yeah, I put these three wide receivers in here because I think all these three wide receivers deserve talk in the top five wide receivers in the NFL conversation. I think that Terry McLaurin is often overlooked and I think he deserves a seat now at this elite wide receiver table. And I'll tell you why, Joan. The kid is unmatchable against. Whereas Hill, you can't go and you can't say, right, we'll play corner coverage. Terry McLaurin runs routes so well. He runs routes at all three levels, deep, intermediate, and short. He's a, you can't match up against him. I'll tell you the fact how much you can't match up against him. So far, his performances this week, uh, this season, came up against the LA Chargers, four receptions, four targets, 62 yards. That's a quiet day for Terry McLaurin, but he's still getting four for four from six for 62. New York Giants, James Bradbury, 11 receptions. 107 yards and a touchdown. Buffalo, Buffalo's defense has been brilliant this season. Four receptions, 62 yards again. So there you go, he's just consistent. This week against Atlanta, six receptions, 123 yards, two touchdowns. What he is, he's he's a bit, he reminds me, he's not necessarily the same player as him, but he reminds us of Keenan Allen, who no matter what it is, he'll get open in a phone box. You can't, he's going to get open intermediate. He's going to get open shallow. He's going to get open deep because he runs that good of a route. And it doesn't really matter if you put Jalen Ramsey on him or Bradbury or Stefan Gilmore or Tredavious White. He's going to find ways to get open and he's going to get catches. He's always going to get 60 yards in the game. He's just a very, very steady, very, very good wide receiver. And um, and good luck trying to find a matchup with him because he's going to get targets and he's going to get yards every single game. You're not going to be able to cover him out of a game at all. Like we've seen teams being able to cover Tyree Kill out of a game, despite Tyree Kill having that game-breaking ability. You'll never be able to cover Terry McLaurin out of a game. He's always going to be able to get open. And he's always going to get sixty yards at a minimum. Yeah, he's, um, we're going to go on to the tight ends on the, in the next bit, but we always say that tight ends are like a safety blanket for um, for quarterbacks. I see that in Terry McLaurin, you know, like, I know we were talked in the chat before, we'll just bring, it, bring him in a little bit, Mark. Obviously, Tyler Tyler Heineck is having a decent season for someone who's, like, come from um, elsewhere. I, can't, I think he, I don't think it, I don't think it was Canadian football, or it was somewhere, anyway. I can't remember which way he came from, but is someone like, he goes to Terry McLaurin a lot. Does someone like Terry McLaurin look? make Heineken look better than he actually is, or is he actually doing okay? Oh, without doubt, because Terry McLaurin can get open. He can get open from press. He can get open from man. He can find soft zone. He's that intelligent enough to be able to get open under all M3 coverages. So Heineken knows that if I'm under pressure, if something's going on, and even if I haven't seen what Terry McLaurin's route is, I know if I look over that, at that, over that kind of, vicinity he's gonna have a window to throw it out and you, that's what you do you just bang on him you just you just you just anticipate that he's gonna get open because he does he gets open um he's such a good he's such a good wide receiver often gets overlooked Tom's put in the chat if McLaurin would have even better games he had a proper quarterback he would he would have that's the thing he, do, he gets this kind of production with like your Heineke's and 
Alex Smith, who was on one bad leg, you know what I mean? And, and, and whoever else have wheeled out in Washington. I think I heard a stat that he's had something like six or seven, maybe even eight different starting quarterbacks who he's caught balls from. But he's caught balls every single game. And that's what he is. He's just a phenomenal route running, get off, three level of the field threat who'll get open in a phone booth. Yeah, he's, um, he goes, like I said earlier, he goes quietly about his business and he's such a, he's such a good player. The third wide receiver we've got on there is another guy that I'm, I'm a big fan of, DJ Moore, and um, from the Panthers. They've got they've got um, a good set of um, wide receivers there with uh, Robbie Anderson. I'm just going to read three stats off that he's, um, he's, he's two of them is first in, one is tied first. So DJ Moore has got eight receptions of 20 plus yards, he's first in the NFL at the moment. He's tied first, 21 receptions for first downs. And this is this is the good one. He's, he's first, 16 receptions for a single coverage, DJ Moore, you know, this season. You know, we've seen his route running ability. Obviously, as well as the 20 yards plus uh, eight receptions, 20 plus yards, we normally put Robbie Anderson into that. But, but DJ Moore's got that as well. He's He's got a, a decent all-round game, uh, DJ Moore. Obviously, Bones, you've seen a bit of the Panthers. What do you see in DJ Moore? Obviously, again, he went off. Another reason why we put him on, but he went off this weekend. But he's been doing it for a while now, DJ Moore. I think DJ Moore's a, a really interesting wide receiver for the Panthers because even the past couple of years when you could say the Panthers haven't had the best quarterback situation, he's still been a 1,000-yard receiver. When he was coming out of college, the draft sort of... Um, the draft comp for him was Stefan Diggs, like who played at the same school as him. They were similar receivers, similar school set skill sets. Um, it's funny you should mention receiving balls from a lot of quarterbacks. Um, in college, DJ Moore received balls from four different quarterbacks in the same season or something like that, apparently. So he's clearly used to having different quarterbacks. And now this Panthers offense is clicking a bit more. You know, he's, if he keeps up this pace, he's on track for like a 1,500-yard season this year. He's, he's really he seems to be a really reliable target for Darnold. You've got obviously the McCaffrey connection in the backfield and stuff like that, but this outside connection to DJ Moore has has resulted in huge yardage situations for them. It's been great, um, and like you mentioned, Robbie Anderson is is there as well. There've been a couple of connections there, but DJ Moore is really the focus of this passing offense. It feels, and he's he is really good at shaking people and coming down with those balls. Like you say, that one on one man coverage, he's. He's a man-beater, I guess, essentially. And then the pro it's like you said before, the problem with these man-beater type players is that means you have to devote more than one player to defending them. At which point, who do you leave open? And especially on the Panthers team, when you've got these threats in the backfield that can come out, um, yeah, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of difficult to deal with these man-beater players. I know, Mark, I know you're basically your second team in the NFL is the Panthers, like they're after the Raiders. So I'm sure you have a few thoughts on DJ Moore. I do love the Panthers because they keep on drafting Auburn players. So that's why I do love the Panthers. But yak, 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 yak. You know, the, the reason why it's nice to talk about these three wide receivers is because all three of them are doing something different. Tyree Killer's scorchy. He's got that home run hit ability. Terry McLaurin will run the prettiest routes and get open in a phone box. DJ Moore is a yak machine and when i say yak i mean yards after catch that kid is a yak machine he'll he's perfect for what sam donald wants to do i'll drop it to you on nine yards dj moore gg moore uses his strength his shiftiness his short speed base 
to be able to get up the field and to turn that nine-yard dump off into a 17-yard game. He's a yak machine. He's small. He's compact. He's built like my fucking wardrobe. As in, like, he's got tree trunks for legs and he's stout. He reminds us of Smith Jr. The, the other lad, you know, like, who played for Carolina. I'm just going to the Hall of Fame. Steve Smith Sr. Reminds us of him. You know what I mean, though? He is a animal to try and break down, to try and bring down. Yak machine. Absolute yak machine. Yards after catch machine. And when we think of yards after catch, we think of gadget players. We think of Rondale Moore, who's just come out. Or think of Kadarius Tony, who's at Tom Higgins's team. This this kid hasn't really got the elusiveness that those guys have got. Hasn't really got the CR and pace what they've got. What he's got, he's got he's got contact balance. He's got he's got an ability to be able to absorb a hit and to be able to ride through it and to be able to get through on that second level and to generate a nine yard catch in 17, 20 yards. He's brilliant. Out of these three wide receivers, and I love and I like them all. I hate Hill because he's a chief, you know. But the one who I like to watch most of all out of these three is DJ Moore because he seems to do it with just Terry McLaurin's the smartest, Tyree Kill's the most physically gifted, DJ Moore's the most determined out of the three. He'll put his helmet down, he'll smack you in the grill, he'll run over the top of you. And he's like a running back almost when you try to bring him down. You see him scrambling for them last few yards. He's just great to watch. He's got great desire. Yeah, he's, he's definitely become um, Sam Darnold's like favourite target. And he's got he's got a lot of targets to choose from there, Sam Darnold. But yeah, he's he's, he's seen something DJ more like I said, yards after catch and like Bones said, he's on he's on for a, a, a career high season at the moment, averaging thirteen point three yards. You know, a reception as it stands going forward. So moving on to the tight ends, we've got Dalton Schultz there. Who had, again, these Titans had good games this week. Dalton Schultz, Mark, he's on there. He's had a great game. But do you expect to see him keep having a good game, or is it like a, 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 not maybe not a one-off? He might see a couple, but the targets that they've got there, they've also got Blake Jar in there as well. They've got some targets at Cowboys. You know, obviously he's, they've gone to him this week. Is it? Have we seen that from him in the past? Obviously last year. He stepped up when um, Donald, um, not Donald, sorry, um, the guy who was at um, Dalton, the Dalton, when he was there, he, he became one of his favourite targets. So do you think he can continue this? It's going to be difficult in this offence because they've got so many weapons. What's happened to us is Gallup's come out injured. So they've lost Gallup the injury. And what they've got is if they've went, okay, then we'll go two tight end sets quite a lot. And what the Dallas Cowboys have, what very few teams have, I mean, the Eagles actually have it as well, is they have two tight ends who are both legitimate catch threats. I think the Eagles have got it in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. But normally when teams build their tight end stables, you know what I mean? Um, they'll have a red zone threat. You know, who's your six foot eight tight end? Like Donald Parnham, who's at LA Chargers. You'll have your pass catching tight end. Who can I put out there? who can catch passes and be out on packages and can be a, a matchup nightmare. You're Jared Cook from the from the um, LA Chargers. And then you've got your blocking tight end. Who am I putting in at the end on big jumbo packages? Who am I putting in to help out the right tackle or the left tackle if the Den's having a really dominant? Foster Moreau, Derek Carrier, who we've got at the Raiders. And when you look at your stables of your franchise, of your tight ends, 
you'll have a mixed mash of that. You'll have one who's a red zone threat, you'll have one who's a receiving threat, and you'll have one who's primarily a run blocker. It's how you build a tight end stable, or how most franchises will build a tight end stable. What the Cowboys have got, they've got Dalton Schultz, and they've got Blake Jarwin, and I would say both of them are receiving tight ends, where blocking and red zone is secondary for them almost. But what they're kind of doing is, is a kind of scheme in the moment, and Dalton Schultz is just getting targets. And if it's not Dalton Schultz one week, it's Blake Jarwin who's getting the targets. And if it's neither them to it's C.D. Lamb, it's Amari Cooper. They're just beating you with the amount of players who can actually be targeted with the ball. I don't suspect that you'll be able to keep this up. Um, because there's so many mouths to feed there. C.D. Lamb's going to be wanting to be fed soon, you know? But, um, yeah, I mean, look, we we're always talking about who's in, that, who's in that next bracket of tight ends. We've talked about Hawkinson being in it. We've talked about Mark Andrews being in it. You know, and the reason why I've grouped these three together is because are these emerging, are these making that jump, and can they be talked about in that top four or five tight ends in the NFL conversation, you know? Yeah, I think I think the I think a few of them have made their case for it over the last couple of weeks to be to be definitely in that next tier. I mean Uzama, I am not very good at pronouncing his name, so I apologize for butchering it if I did. Um had a great game this week specifically. Um had had came out with a, a two touchdowns, I think it was in the end, or was it just one? But he had a he had a fantastic game. I think Titan's one of those positions that we see such such shit here, I think, especially for younger tight ends because of how difficult this position can be. You've got to, you've got to be able like even the receiving tight ends have to be able to be at least a passable lineman like to some extent you can't you can't get by in this position without any of the um any of the lineman abilities that you that your blocking tight end has. You need you do need to have these abilities and this I mean this is slightly off the point of these three specific titans but this is a position that was born out of a rule that doesn't exist anymore the titan position came about when people were expected to play both sides of the field you had limited substitutions so you had to play these multi-positional talents and it's probably the position that we've seen change a lot over the years or one of the positions we've seen change the most over the years from what they once were to what they are now and i think that yeah they're fascinating players to watch and we see it each year these new these new standout tight ends. I think maybe I, I wonder if this is a start of something more. Like we're going to see more of these tight ends where they are these playmaker, big catch receivers. You know that are competing with your Kittles, your Wallers, your Kelseys. Like I, it's very interesting to me the whole position. And yeah, I think all these guys have been having a great year so far. You can't take it from them. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this cow teams continue to to intertwine these tight ends because, like you say. There's a few teams that we're seeing run more two tight end sets again, which, you know, it waned in popularity for a bit and it's coming back again now. So the game changes every year. And I just think it's a fascinating position tight end because it's so hard to play well. And we, yeah, it's just great. What I would do with tight ends now is forget getting the, 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 the you know, like the 4 8 guys. You know what I mean? No, forget getting those guys. If they're running a 4 8 or 4 9 in the combine, don't pick them up. Don't pick up the pass blocking tight ends anymore. Pick up the go pick up the four five guys. Go pick up the fast guys, the fast tight end guys. Go pick up the matchup nightmares. Go pick up as many of them as you can. You know, like if there's a guy who's running four eight or four nine 
You can be the best inline blocker in the fucking draft at tight end. I still ain't picking him up because he does nothing for this modern game unless it's the fourth quarter and you're driving out runs. Go get all the four or five guys you can find, as many as you can. You know, like if they're playing tight end, fuck it. If they, even if they play basketball like Antonio Gates or Donald Parnham, you'll find a role for them. Go get them. Go get the six foot eight, four, four or five guys. Bring them in as tight end. Let them figure out boxing. Uh, let them figure out blocking. All they're going to be doing is chip blocking anyway. How many tight ends now are in on jumbo sets? You know what I mean? And actually physically getting hands on players. You know, like tight ends now are being asked to chip blocks and get, get out into the flats. The blocking aspect of tight end play is kind of declined these days unless you're getting battered on the offensive line like the Raiders are and you're having to get Waller and Foster Moreau in on Alex Leverwood's right-hand side and you have to put two tight ends out there to help him deal with fucking Bosa. And what happens is, is Wallace chip block and fucking Bosa, which means that Wallace completely nullified with what he does best, which is getting down the seams. Little dig there, you know what I mean? Um, but ultimately, that's if I was if I was drafting tight ends now, I'm good. Who's six foot five and who can run a four five minimum? And that's it. Fuck it. I'm sticking you in, and I'll let you figure out everything else because. I know, if anything, you're going to scare the shit out of every single safety that's in the NFL. And every defensive coordinator is going to go, oh, fucking hell, we're playing this freak this week, you know. We've got the six foot seven, four five speed tight end. We're going to have to account for him. They're not fucking worried about who he's blocking. They're worried about who's going to be guarding them. You know what I mean? And that's how I would build a tight end room now, like the Cowboys are doing. Who's fast? Who's big? Who's athletic? Mike, we've got two of them, Jarwin and Schultz. Let's, let's get the cunts out there as much as we can together, you know? Sorry, I'm swearing a lot today. I think I'm looking excited about when you can't I think what's interesting, though, about what you say there is, like, I'm sorry to jump in quickly. I just, just to jump in. Um, I, th I think the, the thing about that is, do you think five, maybe ten years ago, we'd have seen these kind of people drafted at wide receiver more often, you know, like, and they are now getting kicked back towards the line. You've, like you say, you're faster, taller receiver potential players. Like I say, you, Megatron is a prime example of someone that could easily, in this day and age, have been kicked into tight end at his size, height, and speed. Like I just think it's very interesting. This position develops constantly, and I think it, it's an ever-changing one. I, yeah, sorry. We've seen it already. We've seen people who have already been doing it. That Jennings guy who's at the scenes, I forget his name. That was it, Joanne Jennings. He was a wide receiver coming out. He's already been put in a tight end. He's got two or three touchdowns off the back of it. I don't think tight ends are there to block anymore. And if they're all, they're there to chip block. What they're there for is they're there to create mismatches and to give defensive coordinators a worry about in the receiving game. And Dallas have two of them. So if it's not Schultz this week, it'll be Jarwin. If it's not Jarwin, it'll be Schultz. You kind of get production off one of them all the time. Yeah, if you, if you want him to uh, draft massive... Um tight ends and just have nightmare matchups. I think his name's Washington at Georgia. I think he's six foot eight and he's about 250 pounds. So we've got to take a look at him and see what you think of him coming out of the draft. So obviously they, they knocked the they killed the tight ends a little bit there. But obviously coming to UJP with Dawson Knox, a bit similar to um, the, the Cowboys. And obviously Josh Allen's got so many targets going there. But obviously he's been he would he put up some good numbers last year as well, Dawson Knox. He's, he, I think he had quite a few touchdowns. He put a few yards. So he's a he's a favourite target of um, of Josh Allen. Yeah, it's funny. We've just been talking about the like the evolution of the position and like uh, increasing faster players, more athletic players. 
Dawson Knox is a pretty good athlete, but he's kind of, to me, in some ways, he's a little bit of a throwback because he's, he's, most of his usage in Buffalo is in the red zone. And they desperately needed a red zone target that was effective. I know Diggs is brilliant, but Diggs is the guy between the 20s. You know, he's, you can't rely on him for every single thing, you know, on offense. They, they needed other targets. <coughs> to me, Dawson Knox is, is that guy right now. He's, He's the guy that Josh Allen's looking to in the red zone. Somebody they desperately needed. Um, you know, something they desperately need. A receiving tight end. But also, he's a good blocker too. And although they don't have a great run game, I think he's... Tight end position to me is like a natural um, junction point in an offense. And what you are seeing now is... we. we I started hearing a few years ago how the tight end position was dead and teams will just play with three wide receivers and go with a slot player all the time. And now it seems to be moving back the other way. There's a lot of teams that value this this movable tight end piece, you know, somebody that can can go deep as a slot receiver, but can also play in line, do blocking, and be a red zone threat. And Dawson Knox, to me, is kind of all those things and more. Um, so I, I, I'm I really impressed with him. And I think he's going to... We talked about the Cowboys guy potentially losing some of his targets because there's so many, but I think Dawson Knox... He may not get tons of targets. <coughs> oh, sorry. God. He may not get tons of targets, but he's going to get an, the important targets, I think, in that offense. Um, and it'll be a key thing when they get to the playoffs, because I think they will get to the playoffs, that he is going to have to step up and continue that level of play, because if he does, they're a very dangerous team to face. Yeah, I saw a few, just a short highlights of him against um, Texans. I know it's a Texans. Bad Texans team. I'm saying that they played well against defense of other week, but they, they spread it around so much, Bills and um, Dawson Knox is a target that like you they will be relying on in the red zone. And like you say, when they do get to the playoffs, he's going to be he's going to be an important player for 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 um, Josh Allen going forward. So finally, on the on the stock up, we put both New York teams in there. Obviously, Tom will be happy because we bashed Giants for the last four weeks, haven't we, and stuff. But they finally got a win, and so did the Jets. So, um, obviously, I watched both these games. I'm going to go to the Jets first because they, they were, it was the defence that won them this game. Zach Wilson had, had a decent game once he got going, like later on. Um, but early on, he, were, he, were, he was struggling again. But with the defence, they just, they just got to just got to Tannehill constantly through the game, you know, like rushing him, you know, Williams. And um, I think um, it was, Mark mentioned it earlier about red zone defence. The first... Four drives, I think they got to, to the red zone Titans and they held them to a field goal each time, the Jets defence. You know, it's, it's massive, you know, if, if you can do that, especially against an offence like the Titans. And obviously they didn't hold Derek Henry to to anything less than what he's used to. I think he ended up with 130, 40 yards. But they won, they won the game by holding them to field goals really early on. And but like I said, it was that defence that, that really one of the game you know with with the schemes that they run and uh it looks like um john's old um defensive coaches have pulled one out there but he played a fantastic game plan you know for, for him and um it's good to see you know like obviously it's it, we, it's you don't want people to get whipped every week and stuff so it, it's it's good for the sport when jets can go and beat the titans and i don't know what that says it's, looking at titans just jump, touching on them a bit obviously i don't know where that keeps them really because obviously they beat Oh, they beat the Seahawks, they beat us, but they were dominated for the first half. They were let back into the game. They beat a bad Colts team and they've lost to the Jets and got absolutely hammered by the Cardinals. So I don't know where the Titans are, to be honest with you, just to touch on them really at the moment. But yeah, Bones, you saw a couple of these um, 
you know, New York teams. What did you think of him? I think I had an eye. I mean, we've all had an eye on the Jets. I imagine this year with with Zach Wilson being drafted. Um, I think is. I think the t- the point you bring up about the Titans is a very important one here. Like, not not to take anything away from the Jets, because when we're talking about a bad team, like or a team that we consider bad, then winning any game is good for them. Like, congratulations for winning a game. Like, but. The Titans really have struggled this year. I think we mentioned something last week about the Washington football team's defensive line and a lack of depth. And I think if you look at this Titans roster right now, in terms of receiving threats, they are lacking depth. And without A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, Tannehill really, 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 really struggled. And like you say, Henry was the only one really with any real production in that game. There were a couple of passes and there was a couple of things that went off well for the Titans. But yeah, um, it it was a purely defensive game holding those Titans like to like you say to field goals. I think Ryan Tannehill is really struggling without those those targets, so those, you know, his big receivers. Zach Wilson still throwing like he, the guy throws some great balls every game that we see him play though. That's the weird like he has some terrible games, but then you see him make these throws that are just unreal. So rookie jitters, hoping that it stays like as just rookie jitters and this guy really does develop. Because I think he could be a good quarterback. And like you say, I'm sure JP was really happy to see Robert Sala doing well on defense. Yeah, um, it's, it's a it's a it's a fair point actually, Bones. Obviously, like you say, Tannehill didn't have um, Brown and um, Julio Jones. Maybe that would have been a difference when it got to the red zone. You know, with players that he had. But so yeah, it's that it would have been interesting to to see what the score would have been if he had them too. JP, obviously, Giants got their first win against um, a Saints team where we. we Saints have got a good defence, you know, obviously we can pick at their offence, you know, and their quarterback, we've done it numerous times, but they've got a good defence, but Giants, Giants did well against them, but moving the ball. Yeah, it was a battle of two quarterbacks we spent far too much time talking about on these podcasts, Winston and Daniel Jones, but I, um, I was really impressed with the Giants, I thought they did exactly what they needed to do, come away with the win. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Giants in... Uh, in my segment in a little bit, because the, their O-line, I thought, performed very well. Um, I'll go into that in a little bit more detail later on. But yeah, I, th- I thought they were impressive. It's hard to it's hard to stay in those games sometimes with the Saints when they, you know, when they are functioning somewhat well as an offence. You know, but I thought they did really well to stay up with them. Um, I don't know who replaced Jason Garrett as OC this week, but they looked a completely different offence to me. Um, I thought they were... I, th- I actually thought they were really good. I don't know how much <clears throat> more they more improvement they've got in them. And in terms of stock up, it's like buying a stock at rock bottom price. It's got to go up at some point. You know, I think both New York teams are about as low as they could have got. Um, but yeah, I thought the Giants played well. On the on the side of the Jets, I was um, mainly impressed with the defense. I suppose it's not a huge surprise when the, when the head coach is a defensive coordinator. But uh, key stat for me from that game, having watched quite a bit of it early on, was that Titans were in the red zone three times in, the, in early in the first half, came away with nine points. That was what ultimately made the difference. I know Zach Wilson had a good end to the game and he did play well, but the Titans really should have put them away early, early on, I thought, and didn't. And it's kind of a symptom of what the Titans have been like this year. So I don't really know what they are as a team yet. Yeah, you know, I, I, was, just, I was just having a look there. You know, Daniel Jones, look, Let's give Daniel Jones a little bit of love, you know, like when he deserves some. 
the problem is with Daniel Jones is, is we've never really seen this kind of sample size before. And there's still some questions there as well. You know, like, he done really well against Atlanta Falcons. He had a very good game against the Atlanta Falcons. And many said it was his best performance of his career. As in, he didn't throw any interceptions, but he did He did do, he did move the ball up and down the field well. People were still impressed with what he did. He didn't throw any touchdowns that game, you know, but he did manage the game very well and he protected the football. So people were impressed with what he did at the Atlanta Falcons. I stood that back of that game and I went, well, yeah, he's playing the Atlanta Falcons. You know, like, John, you're not very mobile by all reports. But I, I, I'd quite happily put you back there and hope that, you know, like, and, and wouldn't bank on the Atlanta Falcons touching you half a dozen times or more a game. You know what I mean? I wasn't that impressed. You know what I mean? Though, despite them having a decent game against Atlanta Falcons because they are that bad, you know? But then he's went to New Orleans. And New Orleans are very, very, very good defence. They have got a lot of talent on that side of the ball. That defence is what's got them their record this year. It's the strength of that team. They've got very good corners. They've got a very good defensive line. And look, yeah, Daniel Jones went out there and put 402 yards in the air. Yeah, he threw a pick. You know what I mean? No, but he had two touchdowns. He rushed for an additional 27 yards. Look, Daniel Jones, I mean, can he do it two games in a row? Can he do it two games in a row? We've got a sample size here. He's been decent against a very poor Falcons defence. He's been excellent against a very good Saints offence. Let's see this week. Let's see this week. I think I need to have more of a sample size before I start, you know, like crowning Daniel Jones the king of New York. You know what I mean? But credit where's credit's due. You know, like that Saints team is no most. That Saints defence is no most. And regardless of what, if it's an anomaly or not, regardless if it's an anomaly or not, this is the kind of performance that makes you go, well, actually, maybe Daniel Jones does have a his, uh, does have a career in the NFL. Because at this point, I would have said he'll see out his contract at the Giants and he'll be like Trubitsky, he'll be a backup. But this is what will get GMs looking and thinking, well, actually, maybe he is a starter in this league. You know, because it's a, it's, it's, it's a statement game for Daniel Jones of his career. This is the biggest result of his career, and it's a statement game for him against what is probably in the top three NFL defences. Well, that's surprising to hear that from you, Mark. You caught me unaware and um, caught me by surprise, giving um, a bit of love to, to Daniel Jones. But we've got how many weeks left? It's a small sample size, Jordan. He's getting the praise, but it comes with a backhander. It's a small sample size. He'll get it today. You know, like if I had 50 quid, I'd put the 50 quid on him not getting it again this season. You know, but it's a small sample size. I'm praising him because he deserves it. But the question is, can he go do it more? That's fair. That's fair. So we're going to move on to stock down and I'm going to, even though I did watch the 49ers because obviously they played the Seahawks and somehow the Seahawks won and Seahawks are very, not that good of a team to be honest with you. So I'm going to hand it over to JP, the 49ers fan, Shanahan. Come on. Get, you've got your 20 minutes. I've, I've, I've started the clock. Go on. <laughs> I did originally ask for an hour, but Jordan knocked me down to 20 minutes. I've actually calmed down a bit since Sunday, but 
Um, those of you that are regular viewers of this pod will realize I've been pretty quiet tonight. And the reason for that is I've been doing breathing exercises off mic because I'm going to be talking for a little while now about the shambles of a football team and where they're headed. Um, I'm going to be honest, it's, it always stings more to lose to the Seahawks because it's the Seahawks. We've had that rivalry for you know about as long as I've been following the 49ers. It obviously sucks to lose to them, but I'm viewing the season as a whole, and I've got to be honest, in all four games, I don't think we've been impressive. We, we scraped by the Lions after letting them back in early. We were crap against the Eagles, but slightly less crap than the Eagles are. And we absolutely shit the bed for the best part of two and a half quarters against the Packers and made a late comeback, which made it look a bit better than it was. I talked about that last week and said, if we can play that badly and stay in touch, then you know maybe it's a good sign for the season. But Levinson has played that way again this week. I'm uh, I'm less inclined to think that we 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 just are not finding any consistency whatsoever. We seem to be making miscues everywhere. These are players that have been here for a long time. You know, Garoppolo's now gone out of the, the lineup with an injury, so we're going to see Trey Lance this week. That's about the only reason I'm even remotely interested in this Sunday's game because I think we're going to get absolutely smashed. Um, but talking in more detail about about what the issues are, and hopefully with a slightly more calmer head on now than I would have had three, four days ago. The biggest problem now when you look at the 49ers is the offense. And, and that's where the that's where my problem is. People are saying, oh, yeah, you know, they're making mistakes on special teams. The defense isn't as good as it was in 2019. Well, the defense in 2019 was, you know, probably one of the top defenses in the NFL that year. You can't expect that level year in, year out. I think the defence is playing okay. The defence held the Seahawks most of the, well, I think all the first half um, on Sunday. The offence produced nothing. They scored one touchdown. They had several other good positions. You know, through interceptions made mistakes. And ultimately when it, when it comes down to it, you're looking at the 49ers offence right now and you're saying where are the issues? Yeah, they're running out of running backs possibly, you could say that. But then they've got a third-round pick out there in Trey Sermon. It's not like we're playing guys we signed off the street. You know, there are a couple of guys that we've had to bring in. But these are guys that have been in the system, that have had a training camp, that have had all this. And it, what it ultimately comes down to, in my mind, <clears throat> if you've got a head coach like Kyle Shanahan, who's claiming to be an offensive genius, how the hell is he getting so little out of this team? He's got Debo Samuel out there, who admittedly is having a great season. He's got Debo Samuel who's making most of the plays right now. Brandon Ayuk is in the in the witness protection program. Can Jimmy Garoppolo is is pretty much what he's always been, but it looks worse because we're worse. You know, like George Kittle's out there again. He's almost in the witness protection program at this moment. Have we have we turned informant on some gangland lot in San Francisco? So I don't know what's happened to this offense. It has just disappeared. There is nothing good about this offense right now. And then Trey Lance comes in, and rather than adapt your offense to Trey Lance, you've got him running the same plays as Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, what? what is happening? What? Like, this guy is supposed to be one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, and he's coaching like Mike Singletary right now. It is absolutely atrocious to watch. And one final thing, because I know Mark wants to ask me a question. I, I don't want to take up 20 minutes as much as I think I probably could do. Um Fourth and two with the game on... No, not even fourth and two. Fourth and five with the game on the line, you call a jet sweep to Debo Samuel. I mean, for a lot of 49ers coaches, that would be a fireable offence. Shanahan has a bit of goodwill built up because he took us to the Super Bowl, but he, he's on thin ground for me. And in normal circumstances, I think there would be a lot of people asking questions, and I'm sorry, but I think if we lose this week, we go into the bye after that. 
if we if we you know if we're going into the buy at two and three and we start losing a couple more games, there will be questions asked in San Francisco. Absolutely no doubt. So the Go question, on, I'm, I'm going to ask two or three questions to you, John. I'm still going to let you have your 20 minutes. I'm not taking your spotlight, <laughs> mate. This is all yours. I'm just worried about you having a heart attack on the pod. So I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm going to intervene with a little bit of humour now, like I am, just to try and settle you down. Now I'm going to give you some questions, which will probably pump you back up again. One, is this solely an offensive problem? Because when you look at that staff, you've got Shanahan, who's been an offensive play caller for years. And you've got D'Amico Ryans on the defensive side of the ball. As an outsider, you would look in and you would go, well, D'Amico Ryans is the new head, is the new play caller. Surely it's a defensive side of the ball. So is it all on offense? There's question one. Question two, George Kittle, you've seen a dip in George Kittle's production. A bit like why we're seeing a dip in Waller's production. Because George Kittle is being asked to help out McGlinchey at right tackle so much. Just like Waller's being asked to help out Leatherwood at right tackle so much. Is this why we're seeing a dip in George Kittle? In the final one, you have to feel positive about Debo Samuel, though. He's leading the NFL and receiving yards at this moment in time. What's your feelings on that? Well, I'll start with the last one because it, it breaks up the negativity nicely after I've just ranted on for the best part of five minutes. Debo Samuel is my favourite player on the 49ers. He has been since since we drafted him. I absolutely love him as a player. And the season he's having right now is indicative of the progress he's made. I think he's a really, really good player. I think he's underrated largely because the rest of the team isn't playing very well. If we were 3-1 and one or something like that right now, I think we would have been talking about him in stock up. He's been tremendous this year. Um I think he's a really good player. Um, I'll answer the questions in reverse order because I started making notes frantically when you started talking about George Kittle because you did actually bring up another point I wanted to bring up as well. The the offensive line side of things. That offensive line is absolute garbage. Um, Trent Williams is still pretty good, although he's injured, so I I don't think he's going to play Sunday by the sounds of it. And then everything inside of that is, is horrendous. You've got You've got Lake and Tomlinson, who was a who was a failed uh, first round pick of the Lions. I think he's been with us about six years now. He's a decent player, not much more than that. I don't think he's doing a lot wrong. But then you move along the line. You got Alex Mack, who they signed in the off season. There was a lot of off- optimism about him because oh, Shanahan needs a top level centre to run his offense. Well, we don't appear to have one. We seem to have signed the ghost of Alex Mack, so that's dragging us down a level as well. I think right guard is a rotating cast of morons. I don't even know who started at right guard at the minute. Uh, I think it's Daniel Brunskill, but I mean, exactly who the fuck is Daniel Brunskill? There you go. End of that one. And and your final comment, Reed Kittle having to help out McGlinchey. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not being funny. I'm 31 overweight and I've got cerebral palsy and I still reckon I could block pass rushes better than Mike McGlinchey. The guy is a human turnstile. Um, He's gone steadily downhill after a brilliant rookie season. I thought he was really good in his rookie year. We, we took him, what was it, 10th overall? I think we won the coin toss with you guys, right? We, we took we took McGlinchey in the first round. He had a really good rookie season. He's a, he's a bit like Leatherwood. He's a solid run blocker, a really solid run blocker. But ask him to do anything else, and he hasn't got a clue. His footwork's terrible. His pass blocking's awful. And yeah, okay, they're having to have Kittle in to help out because ultimately, with certainly with Garoppolo in there, he hasn't really got the mobility to to avoid the sack. Maybe we'll see a difference this week with Lance in there. I don't know. Lance kind of looked a bit skittish in the second half last week. You know that was that was a bit disconcerting. Although I will, I'm trying to balance out all the ranting with some positivity. Um, 
Lance, I thought, certainly in the latter half of the second half, if that makes sense, I thought as it got towards the end of the game, I thought he was putting some decent drives together. He's got a lot to learn about throwing with touch and his ball placement. I think you touched on that, Bones, in the chat. He was saying like he's throwing the, throwing the ball at the feet and things like that. These are mechanical things. They're not necessarily easy to fix. And I think when you're under pressure, you tend to revert to what you know, and that's how he's, that's how he's played most of his career. But, um, yeah, there were some signs of life there. Um, as to whether it's a wholly offensive problem, I mean, I have to say, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, if, you, if you're coming off a game where you've not given up that many points and you've had the ball that much, we, we, I think we had some ridiculous time of possession stat over the Seahawks, especially in the first half, and you come up with seven points. You don't deserve to win a game if you're scoring seven points in the first half. You know, we should have put them away. We were destroying Wilson in the first half. He went down. I think he got sacked more times in the first half than we managed on him in the last five years, and we did absolutely nothing with it. And that's the frustrating thing. I can see potential in this team, but the guy that's supposed to be the the genius at the head of it is squandering it right now. I, I think he can redeem himself. I'm not. I'm not. You know, we're not. Uh, we're not nailing him to a cross or setting him on fire. I mean, it's not November yet, anyway, so we can't do it yet. But. I, I don't know. I'm just really disappointed with where we are. I, I always thought that even if we played badly, we would generate some offense. It seems to have actually gone the opposite way. The defense is keeping us engaged and the offense is squandering chances. I think you had a little bit on um, on our O-line, Mark. So I'll, I'll go back to you just while I take a deep breath for, for another round. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you was, was a kind of... Look, we bashed the radars for reaching... You know, we've got Alex Leatherwood, who we reached for, who are now he's been he's been playing guard, he's been playing by guard this week. You know, like he's, it looks like he's going to be bumped into guard for four games into his NFL career. Because everybody knew that Alex Leatherwood is what he is. He's struggling past protection at Alabama. He's a fourth-year senior. He goes he gets good NFL coaching. What's to see he's going to get better in the NFL? You know what I mean? You know, he, most people said he'll be a guard because his footsteps rubbish and that. That's what we found. His initial kick steps rubbish. He's off balance. He's leaning in, and he gets beaten because of as a result of it. Stick him in a guard. We overdrafted him. We overdrafted him. Hughes took a guard in round two, who by consensus was around four or five or six, depending on the experts' opinions who you read. And they said he was a developmental guard. You drafted him at two, which says to me you want to start him straight away. But yet you find them here buried on the dip, on the depth chart. Is this a case of look? Let's look at Shanahan because we know he's pulling the strings as much as we know Gruden's pulling the strings at the at the Raiders. Does John Lynch come away from this unscathed as well, John? Because I'm thinking, why waste that pick when you could have got that kid in two or three rounds later if you want to stash him on your depth chart? You've hit on a good point. I think if you look at our drafting in general, it's been a little bit spotty in places, certainly in the mid rounds. If you look at this year, Aaron Banks, as you say, probably overdrafted. I could see the logic that I drafted him, but ultimately he's not active right now. If your second round pick isn't active on game day in his rookie season, it implies you've made a mistake. You know, he's we've also got Ambry Thomas, who we drafted at corner, and he's not played either. He's I think he might have been active this weekend purely because we've run out of corners. Um and Trey Sermon, who although he's been active, Shanahan doesn't seem to trust. So you have to question why why he's brought him there in the first place. It, it's a pattern of slightly odd mid-round picks. I, got, I think back to Shanahan's first year when we took Joe Williams, who hadn't even played football for, I think it was 18 months because he'd left Utah um, in the middle of the season. 
and Shanahan was apparently banging the table for him and he lasted four preseason games and he's never been seen since. These are the kind of things that worry you about a team going forward is that I think John Lynch would ultimately, if, if the worst was to happen, if the nuclear option came in San Francisco, they would both have to go because the scene is linked to each other. You know, it's not, I don't think there's a scenario where it's not like the Raiders where people, Although people like Mayock for a start, you know, he has some cachet in league circles because of what he did on NFL Network and such. But like people see it as Gruden's team, whereas I think at the 49ers, it was always a marriage between Lynch and Shanahan. So if one goes, the, to me, the other probably goes as well. I don't think it's anywhere near that level yet. But I mean, you, you actually asked me back at the start of the season, I think when we did the NFC West preview, you said, is this a prove it season for Kyle Shanahan? And I was sort of on the fence at the time, but honestly, looking at it now, four weeks into the season, it it's, it feels a very sort of uh, sliding doors moment for his career in the sense that, like, we had to go up from here. And it has happened in 49ers history. You look at, like, um, one of Bill Walsh's years, I think the year they won the Super Bowl in 81, he'd gone two and two, and there was a suggestion that he was in trouble and they sort of came back from it. But we are kind of suffering from that. So the same thing, and we now have to decide what route we're taking as a football team. Um, if it was me right now, I, I suspect we're going to get beat at the weekend. And if if that's what we go into the bye with, start Lance the rest of the season. The only reason to start Garoppolo was that you thought this was still a playoff team, and you didn't want to throw a rookie in on that playoff team because it might limit their ability to get to the playoffs and make some noise there. To me, if you're not going to make the playoffs, and to be honest, we're if we lose this weekend, we're going to be comfortably bottom of the West. You might as well stick Lance in, see what you've got. You know, let him grow on the job. It's no use him sitting on the bench all year. He, he looks better. People keep saying, oh, he needs to learn touch. He needs more experience. Well, he ain't going to get that sitting on the bench every week. You know, he, he's got to play at some point. So, yeah, it, it feels a very, uh, yeah, it feels a very crucial point now for where the 49ers go for the next couple of years. As I say, I have calmed down a bit. I would have, uh, I would have probably uh, hung Shanahan in public on Sunday night, but I, I, I think he's got the capability to turn it round. But he needs to, he needs to shelve his own ego a little bit. I think for us to move forward, you've definitely calmed down a bit. Cause I think you're on the verge of building a cannon to fire every single person into the sun. One you on Monday or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. But um, I'll just make a quick point on it because obviously with me. Being a Seahawks fan, I, I don't know how we've come away with a win from that game. I think the first four Seattle drives were all three and outs, and we somehow managed to be 7-7 seven, seven going into a half. And then it all just went pear-shaped in the second half. He did it with the, um, obviously we scored the touchdown and the um, and the muffed, the muffed, um, the punt off, the kick, the kick off straight away, wasn't it? And stuff, the muffed um, kick off, and it, it just, like, with 21-7, wasn't it? And it just playing catch up with, um, with Trey Lance and, I think Seahawks had something like 230 odd offensive yards and still managed to put 28 points up. I think that just says it all, really. It's it's one of them games where if you had a, a if you didn't have Jimmy G in the first half, you would have been away and out of sight, and it, you wouldn't have been talking like you are. But obviously, you did, and you were firing people off to the cannon, cannon up into the sun. So, but we'll move on. We'll move on. Move on to the New England Patriots. I know Mark's going to take on this one because. What's actually happening at the New York Patriots, Mike? Why are they on stock down? Because they can't do anything on offense. Can't do anything on offense. They kind of get the run game going. You know, like so far this season, their, their run game's really stalled. I mean, this is a team who 
who want to manage the clock, who want to grind you down, who want Mac Jones to be a game manager. So through four games, they've been able to put up a grand total of 274 rushing yards. Their leading rusher is Damian Harris with 172 yards, which equates to 43 yards a game average. They're unable to adopt what they want to do as a team at this moment in time. Um, you know, it doesn't just stop there. You know, they brought in Hunter Henry, they brought in um, Jono Smith. You know, we thought, right, okay, we're going to see them go a lot of 11 personnel. We're going to see them go with a lot of tight ends on the field. We're going to see this kind of like big offense being played where they're going to run the ball and they're going to hit tight ends. Those two haven't equated to anything. Then on top of it, all season, they've only scored four actual passing touchdowns. You know what I mean? Though this is where we start to see the problem with the Patriots. Defensively, they're doing their side. You know, like they held a good, but they they held a bloody good Bucks team. You know what I mean? Though they're doing their side. The, the players who they brought in on the defensive side of the ball, Matt Judon, who was their big free agent signing, leads the team with four and a half sacks. Josh Uche, who they drafted out of Michigan a couple of years back, who we liked Jordan. You know, he's got himself three sacks this season. They've got, um, you know, like they've got, they've got, they've got a good corner on J.C. Jackson. I really like J.C. Jackson. I think he's a one of the better man coverage corners in the NFL. You know what I mean? Or he's young. He's twenty five. He was an undrafted rookie. Um, you know, like he didn't didn't get drafted at all. He's the main reason why they've been willing to let Gilmore go because J.C. Jackson's come on really, really well. Had a lot of interceptions last year. He's been dead sticky in man coverage. You know, like the other side of them, we've got Jalen Mills, who's, who I don't read at all. He was bunked out of the Philadelphia Eagles. But J.C. Jackson's a really good piece. You know, they've got Kyle Duggar, who's running out there like his hair's on fire. He makes plays. You know what I mean? We were a fan of him as well, Jordan, coming out of college. He's doing well. But offensively, it's becoming a game of field goals for them. Nick Folk's out there trotting out, kicking out field goals all the time. And you know in the NFL, and the way it is now, you've got to be scoring seven points. If you're in the red zone, you've got to be scoring seven points. You can't be settling for three. And at this moment in time, they're on stock down because offensively, where's their threat? Who's their threat? If you look at their depth chart, Jordan, and you look at their and you look at their wide receivers and you look at their depth charts, you've got Nelson Aglaho out there, you've got Jacoby Myers. And you've got Kendrick Bourne. You've got Hunter Henry and John O. Smith. You've got Mac Jones and Damian Harris in the backfield, you know, quarterback and running back. Who's scaring you if you're a defensive coordinator out of that handful of players? That's the question I'll ask you. Is who's scaring you on this New England offense at this moment in time? Well, going on last year, I probably would have said John O. Smith, but he hasn't really... He hasn't really done anything like obviously he's brought in John Smith and Hunter Henry for obvious reasons and stuff to to be he must have known he was going for a, a, a rookie quarterback obviously maybe thinking Cam Newton might be all right at start but maybe going I'm going to have to use a rookie quarterback eventually I'm going to if Mac Jones falls to me I'm going to go for him and these two are big targets they're going to be safety nets for him and they just haven't been that and it's like you say when I've watched New England over the years they've always had a run game if it's uh, normally two or three running backs that they've gone to. I remember Rex Burkhead's been been a guy alongside other people. You know they've always had like three or four running backs. And I just don't see anything there. And it's like, and like you said, the numbers 
are showing that you know the the defense has done well to keep them in games to be honest with you you know i always say that like if your offense isn't staying on on, on the field it's going to be a nightmare for defense because obviously there's only it's, you're going to get worn worn down eventually when it comes to the fourth quarter but they kept it against the books they kept them in the game i don't know how they did it and they kept it so close because this this offense now i feel for mac jones i, I can't it, there's, there's no blames we put on mac jones you know we know what he is as a quarterback he's not going to do anything like i'll come on to zach wilson later on you know when i come to my rookie that's a bit of a spoiler obviously but i mean i come on to my rookies of the week but he's not that type of player where he can create something out of nothing you know mac jones and he and he doesn't have anyone on offense that can create something out of nothing either. So it's like a, hitting a brick wall on on offense. Really, to be honest with you, Bones. I know you wanted to be devil's advocate with the with the Patriots, so I'll, I'll bring you in. Well, I think I think we're being a bit harsh on the Patriots here. I think what they showed us this week is they do they can play football pretty well. Like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are no slouch on offense or defense for that matter. Like I know the. I know they've struggled. The current the current situation with the running backs is a big problem for them. You have mentioned it. The, none of their rush, none of their running backs are averaging more than. No one's got above that four yards per carry mark yet. Um, I think the 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 one thing I was going to say is J, JP mentioned it sort of with the 49ers, is when you when you go out starting a rookie quarterback, even if it's a Bama rookie quarterback, um, like. You're not expecting really to. You're not expecting a Super Bowl year. You're not starting a quarterback and going, "This is the year we make the Super Bowl and we win it." Like it's just not what you're doing. It might have been a tough week for them. It might have been a tough start to the year, but I wouldn't rule this out of getting better for them. I think they not like you said. The the threat should have been Johnu Smith and um, Hunter Henry. Realistically, that was what we saw in the offseason. Was these two big tight ends? Ah, oh, Patriots are going to be going back to that Patriots two tight end set. They're going to be getting a lot of production out of them, but it feels like when we have watched the Mac Jones at quarterback and the New England Patriots play offense, the only person he's connecting with on a regular basis is Myers. And I think that is a key part of the issue right now is why isn't he connecting with these like these threats? And I think as a, in a way to play devil's advocate, I think this team will I don't I don't think this is gonna be their trend. I think I do think this is a team that will bounce back. And I'm not I I do think after that Patriots game, like they threw everything they could at Brady, and like you say, you, you kind of took it out of the words out of my mouth with the defense. The defense is the is the highlight of this team at the moment. Like Judon's playing unbelievably. Um, they, they threw everything they could at Tom Brady, and he didn't throw a single touchdown pass. Like they can clearly scheme defense, and there just needs to be a few more things click on offense. I do think running backs they've been hampered by. I think their number one running back's been on and off injured for the first four games of the season. Um, I think these. I, I I'm not sure why they leaned away from Ramondre Stevenson so much, considering how well he did in the preseason for them. But no, I think this is going to come together, and that's what that was my main thing about the Patriots. Is I don't think this is. I I don't think this is something we're going to see keep happening. I think they have got the playbook, but I don't know if maybe it's a next year we'll see it a bit more because Mac is still a rookie. That's why they're stocked down because they're one and three. And because you've got to see, is this team already looking towards next year? Everybody coming into the season was on about how the Patriots could be back and could be challenging the Bills for this, you know, like for this, you know, like for the AFC East. Everyone was talking about them being in on a wild card place and being back into the playoffs. 
They're one and three, and they can't generate any offense. Scored six offensive touchdowns all season. Two on the ground, four through the air. You look around their team and you go, they've got nobody who's dominant for Mac to aim at. It seems like they haven't got the sum of Mac's parts. You know what I mean? Though? What's he going to be in the NFL? If he's going to be, um, if he's going to play the football out there, asking them to play football, they haven't got the personnel to make that out. They haven't got the odds after catch guys. You know what I mean? So you, you're already looking at going, right, okay, well, they've just got rid of Gilmore. So what does that tell you? It tells you that they're already looking down the down down the road. They're already looking down the road. They've just got rid of an old pro man cover corner. Fair enough, they've got GSC Jackson, but he's on a really cheap deal as an undrafted rookie and on a one-year extension. He'll get a big deal in the summer. You know, he'll get a big contract in the summer. But why move on from Gilmore now if they thought they were contenders? Why, 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 why? If, if, if they thought they were contenders, they could just keep Gilmore, they could keep GSC Jackson, they would think we'll get Gilmore, Gilmore back after week six and we'll make a run at the playoffs. They're one and three and it sounds like, and it looks like they're already going. We'll kick this can down the road and we'll think about next year instead. Can't score touchdowns. It's a big problem in the NFL today if you can't score touchdowns. You know what I mean? You know, 10 years ago, you might have been able to grind out those 17, 14 wins or those 17, 9 wins. And when the weather closes in New England, they might get that. They might get that as offensive teams go there and struggle with the, the snow there and the, and the temperatures there and the difficult conditions to play there. They might get some wins then. But on the road, if they're playing teams in domes and they're playing teams with high-value offences, they ain't going to stick with them because you've got to score touchdowns and they're hitting too many field goals. They're kicking too many field goals. Got to get the, they've got to get the ball in the paint. Who's getting the ball in the paint? They've got a good offensive line as well. This is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And they can't generate a run. Why is that? Because teams are stacked in a box. Why are teams stacked in a box? Because they know you've got no threat outside. Jacoby Myers, you just hit it there, Bones. Jacoby Myers is their main threat. Problem for them. Problem for them offensively. I think um, you, you see it more in when, when you watch college that if you stifle someone's run game and you know the quarterback isn't going to threaten you, that you put the ball in their hands. And like you mentioned there, Mike, I think that's what they're doing, putting the ball in Matt Jones' hands. And I, and there's no disrespect to Matt Jones. I, 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 I think he's having an okay season so far, but he's not going to bash the ball 50, 60 yards down the field. He's, he's, he's been dunking them off. And people can deal with that, you know, the defences. You know, if that, they know that's what's coming, they can deal with it. And, like, it's, it'd be interesting to see if that's what it is for next year. I, I, I'll just touch on it quick with you, Matt, before we move on with Bones and um, the Lions. Why did they pay Aguilar so much? Bad deal. Bad deal. He had a good season at the Veras, but if if this is the offence they're going to run, Aguilar's completely the wrong personnel for it. You know what I mean, though? Because he wants to attack the third level. He wants to attack the third level. So, you know, it's not, it's not on Mac Jones, this. You can't expect your quarterback to pass the ball if nobody's getting open. And this is a nobody's getting open. The trio of Jacoby Myers, who is decent enough, but is a number two wide receiver on anybody else's franchise. Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aglahor aren't getting open enough. They haven't got a Terry McLaurin. They haven't got somebody like that. They haven't even got a, they haven't got a DJ Moore, who we were talking about earlier. 
They haven't got the yards after catch guy for the short game, what Sam Donald has at Carolina. And they haven't got the, the guy who can get open in a phone booth who, who Heineke can trust without even looking in his direction and just turning through it there. Mac hasn't got that luxury. He hasn't got somebody who can dump it off for five yards and they're going to go get 17. And he hasn't got somebody who can bank on getting open in a phone booth to toss it to. They haven't got the personnel. What they have got is they've got two tight ends, but for some reason they're not they're, they're not being involved enough in this. And they've got a running back who's not being able to generate yards behind a very good offensive line. Can't that offense is stolen? It looks putrid. It looks bad. They're kicking field goals. It's a Nick Folks out there. He's gonna get like a he's gonna get tennis elbow in his kneecap. He's swinging his leg that much. You know what I mean? His kneecap's going to be in worse worse state than John's. You know what I mean? That's how often he's swinging it. Because they can't, they can't put the ball in the paint. You need to put the ball in the paint and they're not doing it. Sorry, Pats, but you're not doing it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to respond to that. I mean, the idea of anybody anybody's kicker having a worse kneecap than me is quite a scary thought. But yeah, I can believe it. Um Quick one, you mentioned the receivers that they've got, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, and Nelson, I, I can't say his name, but I know I know who the third guy is. Um, I think that is a, a microcosm of the whole free agency. It just seemed muddled and confused. It wasn't built around an, offense, an offensive ideal, a philosophy. It's, it's players that a bit part players on other teams. Kendrick Bourne was our third receiver and he got paid like a number one. It was an insane deal they gave him. Same with your guy as well. You know, like there was some serious money being handed out by the Patriots. You look at the tight ends they brought in as well. They've got almost nothing out of those guys. I, I saw a quote, which I think sums the Pats up right now, and I'm not sure where they go from here, but Belichick, the coach, is much, much better than Belichick, the general manager. And I think that's been borne out, if, you, if you'll pardon the pun, I haven't just talked about Kendrick more, but I think that's been borne out this year when you look at that offence right now, that there's not a lot to work with. And you're right, it's it, it looks like a throwback offence in a lot of ways. It looks dated, it looks stale, it, it needs fresh ideas. I wouldn't be too shocked, actually, if, if they get to the end of the season and McDaniels takes a back seat and Belichick brings somebody else in because... I think he's going to want new ideas. Belichick has always been one of those guys that's kind of at the he's doing he's going he's going right when everybody else goes left, and I think he's tried to do that again, but it hasn't worked this time. So I, I wonder if he'll make some wholesale changes at the end of the season. I think you touched on something there just quickly before we do move on. I think you touched on something there that's important, though. I think the signings they made in the playbook don't match right now, and I think if they match the playbook to the signings they made, this team will look different. I really do. I really do believe. Because they've got these two tight ends, but it feels like the actual play calling does not reflect that whatsoever. They're still running these receiver sets that they didn't They didn't sign people for. So I, I, th I do think there's still something there that we're not seeing, and I wouldn't rule it out coming together at some point. That's all. That's my side of this, the devil's advocate side of it. Yeah, I, I never thought that the, anyone had challenged the Bills for the for the um, for the for the division, but you might as well just hand them it now for me. To be honest with you, you know, unless, unless there's a a bad injury to Josh Allen, and then it's all the Bills, and even the Dolphins are struggling. Bones, it's all on you now. Goff Lions is the final one on stock down. Come on, talk, talk to us about it. 
I think we really deserve to be on here. I, th- I think there's no argument for against us being on here at this point. Um, I think we've seen some really shocking play out of Detroit. And I think it, it's going to be an interesting one because I think... Um, I think Mark brought up the other month, the, a few weeks back about he's not sure so much if it, if it's just Goff or if it's a combination of Goff and Anthony Lynn. I think over the past week or so, we've seen that it's definitely a combination of these two people. Um, maybe I just hate our offensive coordinators because I hated Daryl Bevel last year as well. He was an awful play caller. Um, but we've seen some shocking play. We've seen Goff just fumble the I, I mean, there was a rain game, yes, but you sh- you shouldn't be fumbling even in the rain under center. That like, how many drills do you do wet ball drills under center specifically so that this kind of stuff doesn't happen? And Goff not only fumbled it, he turned it over. And then this week we see a, a, a snap right into his chest. Um, I saw some. Int- I saw a really interesting stat that I did want to bring up. That was our third down conversion rate is below a third we have it's only just but we have 33 percent convert not even 33.3 we didn't make a full third like our third down conversion rate is atrocious our fourth down conversion rate is also about 30 percent um we just call these shocking fourth down calls like it's fourth and one what what formation do lines come out in empty set of course yeah fourth and one put everything on jared goff don't even pretend you're gonna run the ball just just openly go yep we're putting it all on Goff's arm and then watch watch the Lions crumble and fail miserably to get the first down. Um, we look deceptively good in the open field, I think. As soon as we get anywhere near the red zone, everything falls apart. Uh, Swift isn't over four yards per carry this year. That's atrocious. Like He's at round two running back from last year. We all expected to like be doing better this year, and it seems Williams is the only one getting any yardage but again i wonder if some of that comes back to anthony lynn and his uninspired play calling can he only call plays that really success when it's just slam it up the middle for five yards like swift we've seen when they do scheme him and get him into the open field can like they've they've used him a lot in screen passes he's had a lot more receiving gameplay i guess like where his yardage has really come from and yeah you get him in a bit of open field and the guy's great but where's the scheming to get him open it's not happening um yeah i think our, the predicted best receiver coming into this season was going to be Terrell Williams, who's been out injured the whole time. Um, it's just not good. It's just not good. We're on four, and someone. I was talking about it to the main podcast guys when they were on, and Tom asked me, "Do I really think we're going zero and seventeen? And I might be exaggerating slightly, but there's some of the games this season I thought we were going to win that we're definitely not going to win at this rate. Like. One of the four or five wins I had us getting was against the Bengals, and the Bengals are going to destroy us based on how they've been playing. Like, there's very few wins on our schedule left now that are going to come together if this continues. And I think it just looks shocking. And I don't, I just don't like Jared Goff. This Poundland Ryan Gosling looking piece. He's just. He's, he can only make one read. I see it time and time again. It's like people, people say, oh, yeah, but sometimes he makes these really good passes. It's like, yeah, because that's his first read and it's open. Like, if his first read's not there, he he doesn't look anywhere else. You see him just lock on to people pre-snap. Like, it, there's multiple plays where he's locked on to a receiver pre-snap and does not shift his eye line whatsoever. And there's three other open receivers that would have got way more yardage out of the play and he ends up getting an incompletion because... Don't know. Apparently, he can't turn his head to the right. It's. I just don't rate him at all. I, I think 
his play is just not coming together. There's something not right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've gone on enough. I think if anyone does have anything to say on the Lions, by all means, but I struggle to find any silver lining in this cloud right now. <laughs> but I think that, yeah, I've got a counterpoint. But it, look, you watch it more than I do. So you, you know better what that team is than I do. I'm not, I'm not going to dispute that. In the same way that you could have uh, contradicted me earlier and I would have said, well, I've watched every game. You know, you haven't. I haven't watched every Lions game. I will say this. We talk, we, you've talked about them potentially going over 17. I don't think they're anywhere near that bad. When you look at the teams that have gone winless, including yourselves and, and the Browns, that that is a they were bad football teams all around. There wasn't a single like thing you looked at and thought, and they weren't competitive in a lot of games. You guys have been close in at least two games that I've watched, one of which was against us, and obviously the Ravens, which let's be honest, you should have won. I I know we look at we, the problem with a lot of what we do as like podcasters and people that like take an analytical interest in the NFL. We look at schedules and we go, yeah, they're going to get wins here, here, and here. But the problem is when the season starts, it doesn't always match up to what we have in our heads. The Bengals are a far better team than we thought they were. I'd say the Eagles are a better team than most of us thought they were when we did the previews. Those are the kind of games that in in like June or July you would look at and go, yeah, yeah, we can definitely win those. But now it's a bit different. But equally, like there'll be teams that you'll play now that you're going to catch them in a bad moment, you know. If you were playing us in week five instead of week one, I'd back you to win right now. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. It, it, that makes a difference. And I don't think you'll go 0-17. You're competitive in most games. And even the games you've lost by slightly more, like the Packers, you were pretty good for most of that game. I can't defend Jared Goff because he's terrible. Um, Goff is... We're going to talk about a, a player like him in a second when I go into offensive lines. But Goff is one of those guys that everything needs to be perfect in order for him to play well. And he's gone to a very imperfect situation. But he's going to put you in that range where you can potentially get a young QB that's got potential in the draft. So I don't think it's a massive, you know, I don't think it's a massive deal right now. Anthony Lynn is a garbage offensive coordinator, but I mean, that's unfortunately one of those things that happens when you are at the bottom of the ladder. You do kind of end up with some of those guys, the, the retread guys, if you will, the fired head coaches. You sometimes end up with those as your coordinators. And some work out and some don't. And if he doesn't work out, he'll be gone. It's as simple as that. They've obviously put the faith in Campbell for the long term. I think they give him a long contract. I think I'm right to say they give him a five-year contract. So they obviously see him as the guy for the future. So I think if he's not happy with how it's going, and I can't really see how he would be and from an offensive point of view, I think that will change. I don't think it's anywhere near as dire. There are, there are teams in far worse situations. There may, there may not be many teams with as bad a record, but there are teams in worse situations in terms of cap, in terms of what they've got coming up in the future than the Lions. There's a long way to rebuild from what Matt Patricia did to you guys, but I think you're uh, I think you're on the right road. I think you'll be okay. I think I think the standout thing in the post Patricia era is our defense absolutely sucks. Like that's that's the ridiculous part. This is a defensive genius who left our defense in an absolute shambles. Like Will Harris needs to be cut. Like the guy just needs to go. We need a new free safety. Like he's just got to go. Um, but Okuda is now out for the season. Okwara looks like he's out for the season. Like it, It's not looking... like the, the the injuries that we have right now are not looking good. The players we have right now look like they're struggling. Hawkinson, who we expected to be like the, have a bit of a breakout year, 
without someone competent throwing the ball to him. He is, even he's not having the best year. So I, I don't know. I'm fine. I'm just they deserve to be on stock down. That's for sure. I'll move on quickly because we've, we've killed the moon a bit there, anyway. <laughs> so um, I move on quickly. Obviously, it's our, our different areas and stuff. And I'm going to start with my rookie performances of the week. And defense, I could have gone Eric Stokes again. I had a good game for Green, but someone who I, I thought was drafted a bit too high and he's, he's stepped up. He's doing all right at the moment. It's early stages, but yeah. But I've gone for my guy from Washington, Washington Huskies, Joe Tryon at Tampa Bay. Finished with two sacks, five quarterback kicks. I think he had two tackles for loss in the past deflected. He's he's really coming into his own at the moment now for, for Tampa Bay. You know, he, he didn't I think you're only in for 30, 40% of the snaps. He's like hitting 85% of the snaps now. I know they've had a few injuries on the front there with Pierre Paul and things like that. But yeah, he's I, I always thought he'd be a, a good player going forward, but he's he's stepped up early and he's been playing really well, you know, for for Tampa Bay over these last few weeks. And then I've gone for Zach Wilson as well. And like I said earlier, he started really slow. He, did. he wasn't playing well early on, but third and fourth quarter, especially back in the third where he started, he started playing really well. And he finished with 297 yards, two touchdowns, hit 21 completions on 34. Yeah, he did have an interception, which actually wasn't his fault. You know, I think it was Corey Davis actually slipped on the route and uh, where he should have been, it was, it was intercepted. But his, his, his final touchdown, you know, where um, he came out of the pocket, slipped out, slipped away from a few um, rushes. And he, he saw that the, the, the I think it was the, I think it was the free safety, one of the safeties anyway, I think it was free safety, had, had come up the field and he was waving Corey Davis down going, I've, I've got you. you and this is about 50 yards. He's waving him down. And he just wanged one 50 yards, you know, and... Uh, and he got Corey Davis in the end zone. That's where I was like comparing to Mac Jones earlier. You know, Zach Wilson's got this arm on him and stuff. And he can, and, he, and you, if you go back and watch this third and fourth quarter, he, he pinned some fantastic throws. Still a lot to work on with him, though. He had some, he had some bad throws as well. But I mean, I'm throwing him in there because he did change the game at the back end when obviously tennis. We mentioned Titans should have ran away with it earlier, but obviously the defense stopped him up for field goals, and Zach Wilson took advantage of that at the end of the end of the game and uh, kind of helped him win over the line with um, some some like big big forty plus yard throws. So they, they were my two that I, I really liked on rookie performances this week. JP, obviously your all line of the week. I've actually got two this week, but one's more of a honorable honorable mention. Uh, both from the same team division. Um, the the line of the week is the Cowboys. Um, it should be when you look at the talent they've got on the offensive line. They should be up there every week, pretty much. They they haven't been. I don't really understand why that is. They've never really been able to put it together consistently in you know over over a long season. But I thought they were excellent this week playing the Panthers. That front is no joke. You know that defensive front has been really good all season, um, and they kept them quiet and they turned what I thought would have been a close game into. Okay, it was it got closer towards the end, but I, I thought it really helped the Cowboys control the line of scrimmage. Um, they ran the ball well. Dak looked comfortable back there. Dak looks really good right now, and I think that's a large part because he's, he feels very well protected by that offensive line. Um, listen, they've invested the money, and it's it's finally paying off. Um, we're not hearing so much about McCarthy not being able to coach now either. So I, I think I think it's all coming. I think it's all coming up well in Dallas. Uh, they've got bigger games coming up, obviously, but I, I, that was kind of one of the first real tests of the year because the Panthers have been a good side, you know, pretty much all season so far, and they, they came through it and they held that front pretty quiet. I thought. 
Um, honourable mention, and this got some heat in the chat, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, honourable mention, I went for the Giants because that's we talked about it earlier. That Saints defense is pretty good, man, and that that front is good. And we talked about just talked about Jared Goff and needing things to be perfect to have a good game. I think Daniel Jones falls into that bracket, and this week he had it, and we saw what he could do. Um, and I think. That Giants offense is is outside of Daniel Jones is is a lot of known. Well, Daniel Jones is a no name in terms of what he's done in the league, but like in terms of people that people will know, they haven't got a lot of receiver. They haven't got a ton of. Well, I suppose they got Saquon, but there's not a ton of weapons there. But that offensive line block, I thought, did really well against the Saints front. Kept Jones clean pretty much all day, and he looked like a quarterback that knew how to play in the pocket. We haven't really seen that from him yet, so. I had to chuck him as an honourable mention. Um, it wasn't the most popular choice I've ever made, but when, when I watched most of that game, I thought they played really well. Yeah, obviously, we've got next. We've got Bones, Voice of the Voiceless. You know, I think we really, really, really pulled Giants up from the bottom, haven't we? This week, we 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 are we are like more than one now. They were just Tom shouting about the Giants, but we're all on board for now, aren't we? But Voice of the Voiceless, Bones, who have you gone for? So, I've gone for another one that we've all been pretty down on, I suppose, over over the course of the podcast, and that's the that's the Bengals. Um, and surprisingly, they're having a having a great year, tied for the first in the AFC North. I know there's three of them tied for the first in the AFC North, but still, Bengals fans do not expect to be tied for first in the NFC AFC North at any point this season. I don't think so. And I think on the surface level, it doesn't. You could look at it and say, actually, it doesn't look that much better than last year. Last year, Burrow over four games was sacked fifteen times, eight in a single game, um, for a combined loss of one hundred and seven yards. This this year, in four games, eleven times for a net loss of seventy eight yards. On on average, the amount he's losing per sack hasn't actually improved all that much across four games, but it is a little bit better. The thing to note, though, whilst that hasn't improved all that much is basically every other offensive stat has improved quite dramatically um he's had a jump in completion percent up to 70 odd percent per pass um on average his yards per attempt and his um, adjusted yards per attempt have shot up hugely um and i only looked at the first four games of the season because i know borough went out injured last year you could make the Argument, oh, well, he didn't play a full season. Well, I only looked at four games, so there's no, he only played a full, full season, the four, uh, didn't play a full season here because he did play all of the first four games of the year. Um, they only really made one big side, like one big offensive line change, I guess, was Riley Reef coming in in the offseason. And there was a lot of during the draft, is you know, they took Chase and everyone said, is this going to hurt them? Is Sewell, you know, not taking Sewell, damaging them? And I think right now they're proving that no, it, it's not really. They're still managing to get really good offensive production and Burrow's not passed as much this year um as he had as he was asked to last year Joe Mixon has had a I mean an amazing year so far and looks set to carry on um again massive increase in the running production from the Bengals this year despite um you know on a surface level not much changing I wanted to bring up Jamal Chase while we're talking about because I know Mark loves wide receivers and right now he's I think he had a 95.1 receiving grade on deep target passes he's ranked second overall as the deep threat receiver in the NFL um did you expect this to be how good Chase was first year in the league Mark yeah because I thought he was mint and 
don't get us wrong, like I started getting a bit panicky when I heard about his drops issues in training camp. But if anybody had watched that, you know, like that LSU offense that won the national championship that year with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase was just phenomenal all season long. And he had a really good rapport with Burrow. I know people wanted Penny so to go there. But I think this is just, you know, like, look, this is, you know, like, I think the bank on the connection that Burrow had with him at LSU that year, they won the championship and they went, God, I hope we get a bit of that in Ohio at Cincinnati. Um, and so far, they haven't. Look, Chase is brilliant. Chase is brilliant. He was brilliant in college. And, I, and, and when they drafted him, I thought, yeah, you know, like, he's, he's going to be a success wherever he goes. He was really a no-miss wide receiver. The drops in preseason did what he is. But look, no one's talking about them now. And I bet you he's not even thinking about that now. You know, um, it looks like he's playing natural football. And this is exactly how that performance would see. I think... I, whilst we're on it, I mean, the, I, he's played fantastically. And um, it's interesting to look at Burrow's production with other members of the team. We mentioned Uzama earlier tonight, who had a fantastic year. But um, Tyler Boyd, is, uh, was Tyler Boyd? Uh, did I get that right? Boyd, whatever. Um, he He's had almost equal production to Chase at this point. Um, Burrow's connecting with him an awful lot. The rapport between all three of these offensive weapons for Joe Burrow seems quite good right now. He's not, like I say, he's not passing as much, but his production compared to last year is is way beyond what it was. Um, and a quick last one on the uh, on the Bengals is the defensive side of the ball is looking better than anyone expected it to as well. The, um, the mid-round linebacker pick, Logan Wilson, from last year has had 40 tackles so far, a sack, three interceptions. What value pick that guy is leading that young linebacking core right now. He looks phenomenal for them. So, yeah, I think people might take, try and detract from the Bengals saying, well, they beat the Jags, the Jags are rubbish. But we all had this team as like a dumpster fire franchise, like, and the the winning games, like, you can't take that away from them no matter how bad you think your opponent is. Yeah, I think I think they've done well, Bones. I think, I mean, I, I always thought the Bengals were better than what people thought. I did see that like, they were just in a very difficult conference that's what it is they've got they're playing very difficult schedule this year you know because i'm meeting the fc west as well and 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 you know like in there they're in a very difficult conference and um and i just thought yeah the efc north you know it's tough and i didn't think the steelers would have regressed as much as the had although i was we were all expecting the dip from the steelers but yeah this uh this this bengals team is doing better than what we expected on the defensive side of the ball. I think we all thought that offense with Mixon, um, T Higgins and, you know, like entire Boyd and Jamal Chase was going to be good. Um, but it's defensively where they're really doing well, which is surprising. It's surprising. Yeah. They have been playing well this year. And obviously looking at week five fixtures before we talk about them, they're going off to Lambeau field. So big game for Bengals uh, this weekend. And, Obviously, like looking at week five before I move on, come on to you, Mark, where you look at the fixtures. What I see is obviously we've got four games in a row on Sunday with the London game, so loads of football on Sunday, which means you've got a lot to talk about on your show. On 12, I think it's at 12pm on Saturdays with Tom, so a lot to talk about with the Sky, Sky games on there, but kick-off tonight, I can't, can't look past Seahawks, Rams, you know, me and Bones are talking about it off-air, and Rams are such a bogey time team for Seahawks, and I think this could be a bit more one-sided than 
like it normally is. I think Rams could run away with it quite comfortably, really. But I'm, I'm, I'm living in hope. You never know. But I'm just looking at them two nine twenty five games as well. Cowboys, Giants, and Cardinals forty nine as fantastic games. What, 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 what do you see, Mark? That stands out for you this week? There's a lot of games. I'm, I'm, I'm actually intrigued in games which people really probably won't be picking. I'm going to be probably watching the Broncos against the Steelers. Because there's two very good defences there against two very questionable quarterbacks. Because it looks like Teddy Bridgewater's not going to play. So it's probably going to be Drew Locke starting for the Broncos. And we all know how quietly Ben Roethlisberger has looked in this, this season so far for the Steelers. So I'm actually intrigued to watch that matchup. Because I want to see the defences in that game. And I, want, and I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. I think there could be turnovers on both, both sides of the ball. And I think that the defences might outscore the offences on that game. So I'm going to watch it out with intrigue. The other game which I'm interested in watching in is probably the Chargers against the Bill uh, against the Browns. Chargers dismantled us this week, outcoached us in every single facet of an American football game. You know, Brand Steely really got the X's and O's battle right against the Raiders this week. Um, I'm intrigued to see if they can follow that on. You know, they've got the Browns coming early. The Browns are a good team. They're a better team than what the Raiders are, at least on paper. And they've got a lot of balance there. And they've got good running backs. Two of them who can punish that Chargers run defence. That was good against us, but it's been poor all season. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to watching that game. Because I think we're going to see... We're going to test the metal of them two teams. We're going to see who's really for real and who's not for them. JP, what about you? Well, I've wrote four down and you just covered two of them. Um, <laughs> so, um, no, what I am seeing when I look at the schedule is I think I know why we've only got one undefeated team. There seems to be big teams playing each other every week at the moment. Um, one that stands out is obviously Chiefs-Bills, but I think that's the easy one to say. Uh, that's going to be an insane game. Um, but I've actually got an eye. You covered Chargers, Browns, and Rams, Seahawks. They were they were the two I wrote down. Um, I've actually got an eye on Washington versus New Orleans. These are two teams that haven't hit the heights that we might have thought they might get to, and they're both you know they both both had hit and miss seasons so far. It feels a very important game for both teams. That feels like if you could win that game, you know you might kick on from there. I'm interested to see what the Washington offense does against that Saints defense. Having seen Daniel Jones manage to play well against it, um, and vice versa, what the Saints offense can do against the Washington defense that we keep expecting to show up but hasn't yet. So I think I might have an eye on that game on uh, on Sunday. I think that'll be a good one. I'm gonna say. I mean, the Seahawks-Rams is the obvious one, isn't it? Me and you were talking about it. I think I spoke to JP about this the other day. I was like, I'm becoming a Rams fan, and I think it's purely because they wear blue and Matthew Stafford plays there. So I think it's a valid fandom for me to just sort of slide into a little bit. Um, no, I, that'll be a good game. Um, Steelers-Broncos, I think, interestingly, Mark, I saw today, uh, recently, in fact, Teddy Bridgewater is due to return to practice on Thursday, so might be playing this Sunday after all. So that could be good for them. Um Bills Chiefs, I think, is one of those games that sort of it's it's like it was when the um, when the Rams played the Bucks. It's kind of a, a championship preview match, or what people would have thought would be a championship preview match, right? Like these two teams should have been playing each other at some point, but I'd be interesting to watch. Um, what else we got? I mean, it's it's a tough one this week. I think 
Like you say, there's a few that people will be really watching, and there's a few that I think not many people will be watching, but could be really good. Um, you know, Panthers, Eagles, I, I, Panthers are just going to, I think, destroy the Eagles. That'll be a really good one to watch, I imagine. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a great set of games this weekend. Like you say, four games in a row because the England because of the English um, game is going to be great. Yeah, I'll be, I'm looking forward to it. You know, like sat down straight away in the afternoon watching all the games in a row. It's going to be good. And obviously, as you know, we always finish on Mystic Mac bet of the week. What have we got? I know you've been mentioned a few in chat already. You're churning them out at you. So what have we got this week for us? No, no, we've talked about them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to back Azuma. I'm going to back Dawson Knox. I'm going to back Dalton Schultz. I'm going to back Terry McLaurin. I'm going to back Tyreek Hill. And I'm going to back DJ Moore. All the score, anytime touchdowns. I'm going to parlay it and I'm going to cover all the multiples. So forget the singles. I'm not backing them on singles. I'm going to pick all six and I'm going to cover doubles, trebles, a fourfold, a fivefold, and a sixfold parlay. And I'm going to back all them six and I'm going to cover them on all the multiples apart from singles. I don't know what the price will be, but. Um, yeah, we've talked about them. I'm going to back them to go do it. So I'm going to cover it on doubles, trebles, fourfolds, fivefolds, and sixfolds. But I'm going to back a lot of them. Um, you're on mute. Stunned him into silence. Apologies. I was saying that, watch, call it. Um, we'll get them all up on the um, price them up and we'll get them on the Twitter, Twitter account. I would that, I'll just blown away with how many blooming players I'm going to be watching, like look, waiting for a touchdown. You know, it's going to be fun to watch on Sunday, you know, six of them. But yeah, if that comes in, that, that's PlayStation 5 paid for surely, isn't it, Mark? So but yeah, we'll get the we'll get that price up and we'll put it on the, the Twitter account for you uh, tomorrow or this evening before the game starts. So there's none from tonight. So it'll all be, all be Sunday, which which will be fun to watch. So yeah, yeah that's... If you cover the multiples, if you cover it on doubles or if you cover it on trebles, you don't need the more score to get money back. Only need two of them to score to get something back. So cover all the multiples, Jordan. Pick all six. Forget the singles, multiples, and just cover doubles, trebles, fourfold, fivefold, and of course the big sixfold parley. What about Giants to beat Cowboys just before we go? <laughs> nah, that ain't gonna happen. That, that 